Welcome to The Automators. I'm David Sparks and joined by Rosemary Orchard. This is The Automators, where we talk about how to automate your technology to do your work for you. Hi, Rosemary. Hey, David. How are you? I am quite excited. We have uh, one of our favorite automators here today. Welcome to the show, Sal Sagoyan. Greetings, everybody. It's such a thrill to be with you today. It's my favorite podcast. I listen to you all the time. I, I feel like that is a burden for me because you are so smart with automation. I'm like, oh, man, I say things and Sal's like, no, that's not the way to do it. <laughs> yeah. See, David, it, you you also set yourself up there because you said at the start, you're quite excited. You're not really excited. You're not super excited. You're not amazing, awesome, fantastic excited. You're just quite excited. So, you know, ev- everything's going to go wrong from here on out. It, it all depends on how you define quite. And quite to me is quite important. There you go, right? No, no, but Sal, you were, I think, our first guest on the Automators podcast. Uh, Was you, I really? Yeah, you were. You were my Sherpa. I, I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to use that word anymore, but you were my Sherpa into Apple Script years and years ago. I took your multi-day course at MacWorld. That was that was quite the course, wasn't it? it that was, was like so what, fun. two two days, seven hours each day, something like that. Yeah, right? but it was you just you just bathed us in it. The other thing that that Sal did. Yeah, Sal used to be uh, a mucky muck at Apple. You were the guy, really, who you know who brought automation to all the teams and was you know auto the automator and automa- automation all came you know came from Sal and some very smart people over there. But Sal would tell us stuff too. You know, he, I remember you told me that there's a room at Apple where there's just a drain in the floor, and uh, <laughs> after Steve Jobs would come through and look at your product, they just wash the blood off the floor, off the walls. Into the floor. <laughs> And I yeah, thought it was that was over so funny. In building three. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that one. I gotcha. Okay. That explains why I, uh, yeah, I haven't heard of it from uh, some friends who started recently there. Yeah. It's yeah. The, back at the old campus. But, but Sal, you really are uh, an inspiration to so many of us in automation because at a time when automation wasn't getting the focus it gets now, you were there advocating for it. And, um, hmm. And so we love having you on the show, but also you just come up with the coolest stuff because uh, you do listen to the show. We know because recently I was bemoaning the loss of a very excellent plugin for OmniFocus that worked with Alfred, and it allowed me to jump to my mm-hmm. various perspectives and folders with just a couple taps, and you know, mm-hmm. and it it broke for various reasons, and the, the guy who put it together never had time to go back and fix it, or or the technology he wasn't he was using wasn't working anymore. And then one day Sal just sends me a little link and he's rebuilt the whole thing. And now we're going to put a link in the show notes. Anybody that's using OmniFocus, you need to check this out, OmniFocus and Alfred. But I, you just did this on the side, Sal, and I, I wanted to talk about it on the show. I mean, we've got a lot of topics to go over with today, but but this one just delighted me because it, it really solved a problem mm. for me. Um, uh, I know you're doing some work with, with Omni Group now, but but when you heard that that thing was dead, what did you go through as an automator to rebuild it? Well, one of the things about your show that I love is I always leave it on and I listen to a, a particular episode multiple times because I might not be catching everything while it's going down, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I heard this thing about Alfred and it kept popping up in my brain. And I said, okay, I'm going to sit down and look at this. And I looked at uh, the potential and what they had done. And the Alfred team had upgraded to Alfred 5 with a lot of new 
uh, interoperability features so that you could talk to it in different ways, like with URLs and things. Yeah. And I looked at the situation. And I said, well, okay, what do we have to work with? And of course, Omni Automation, the depth and the uh, scope of that is so big that it allowed me to pretty quickly come up with the basic scenarios of, okay, I want to run a command from Alfred with no input that does something in OmniFocus with no input. I want to use input in Alfred that does something in OmniFocus. I want something that uses input and then returns a list. So I figured out all the different combinations that you would use and tried to come up with some kind of interesting example for each one so that our our customers could see how it's done and then replicate that and make their own. And the folks at Alfred, I contacted them and, you know, told them about what I was interested in doing. And they were so helpful, uh, guiding me through learning their product and taking advantage of the features that they had. They have a lot of setup features that are built in. And mm-hmm. quickly, you know, came to a nice subset of of Alfred actions that pretty much show you how to get at the various core parts of an Omni application through either Omni Automation or through Apple events. I also included some Apple event examples in there. And it was a lot of fun. And I can see why you like that product so much. Yeah. I, well, Alfred is really powerful. And and they have embraced automation. I mean, this kind of gets to my my core automation stories. Like I did software development as a kid, you know, as we all did, mm-hmm. as all us nerds did back in the day before the internet. And you had to go get the magazine and copy the code out of the back and things like that. But then, you know, at some point I realized this isn't something I have time for to figure out how to write my own software and do it efficiently and effectively. But what if I could take the software other people are writing and glue it together to become, mm-hmm. you know, my uh, my own personal robot and do the things I wanted to do? And that is something anybody listening to the show can do. That's why we make right. the show. And, um, you know, and that's what you did here. You took uh, Alfred, which is a, a great app at sending information to your Mac with just a couple of keystrokes and taught it to do stuff in OmniFocus. So uh, just to give you an example, like one of the things I like to do is sometimes I need to go into a specific project and you made it. Now I can just hit Alfred, type in a keystroke, type in the project name, and I go to that project in OmniFocus. Seems like a small thing, but when you spend your day opening OmniFocus, going over to the sidebar, Mm -hmm. clicking on the projects tab, drilling down to the project tab, getting the project you want. I mean, that is a multi-step process that takes your mind mm-hmm. off the ball. You know, getting back to my idea of contextual computing, you get lost mm-hmm. in the thread. Not anymore. You know, you just run this thing and you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Because the thing that happens to me all the time is, um, you know, I'll open OmniFocus because I want to, you know, check what I'm doing next or or add something or whatever. And then, bam, I, I'm sidetracked because I saw a, th- a shiny. And there was a ah. shiny thing there and it grabbed my attention because it was kind of important. And then bam, I'm just, I'm, I'm gone. 
Um, so yeah, this is this has been really useful for me. That and, and the quick open feature in OmniFocus itself. Um, but this way I, I don't have to, you know, sort of half close my eyes when I open OmniFocus until I've hit the the quick open. I can just, you know, go for it. And and that saves me a lot of time. And it just it's it's amazing how integrating things into the tools that already using for automation, even if you're only doing a very light usage of, you know, any of these openers can really make a difference. Do you find that using the launcher approach is something that comes easy for you? Yeah, because for me, I just replaced Spotlight with Alfred. um, Mm -hmm. And I spend pretty much all day, every day using a keyboard. Um, You know, the mouse is right there. I'm not going to say I don't use the mouse. I have a very nice Razer mouse. It's got uh, RGB lighting in it, which makes it extra pretty. (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, the, the, the reality is, is, you know, I'm already on the keyboard. So if I have to move from the keyboard to the mouse to uh-huh. to get to an application, uh, then that's going to slow me down. And uh. in addition to that, um, it, it's not just that, but command tab um, is, it's a great invention, right? And then you accidentally nudge your mouse just the tiniest bit, and now your mouse is hovering over one of those app icons. Suddenly, that's the one that is pecking. Um, right. And it, it, that breaks my, my flow. So I found that by using the launcher approach, uh, to um, activate apps, even if they're already open. It's also, uh, by the way, is a nice hack if you've got multiple windows because it brings all of them to the front. Um, so if I have, say, for example, three windows open in OmniFocus or Script Debugger or something, when I use um, uh, Alfred to activate them, usually it ends up bringing all the windows to the front for me, mm-hmm. which is just really useful when you've got like seven windows on the go for some reason. Ah. Yeah, I also added in one extra little example there, just because I enjoy working with voice so much. I took one of the uh, commands for showing the currently uh, tasks due today, and I also showed how you could also trigger that using your voice as well. So you can Mm -hmm. have voice-controlled Alfred in addition to using it uh, by the keyboard. Nice. Yeah, the voice control stuff is very exciting. We're going to talk about voice later because you've done a lot on that, Sal. But I feel like you are like single-handedly <laughs> bringing voice control um, to another level. But but with respect to this um, OmniFocus thing, I felt like, and I haven't had time to do this yet. I want to go through. You have also made a group of 100-plus OmniFocus scripts. You know, one of the things they did uh, with the currently shipping version of OmniFocus and OmniFocus 4, which is in the works, is they've added this robust Omni JavaScript uh, automation engine. And, and Sal's been, uh, with your your knowledge of JavaScript, you've been building out all these automations. So basically, you've added 100, I would say, features or, or um, utilities to the application. So like, if you wanted to, like I, I at one point asked you, can you make one that takes every active task and puts a defer date to today. Like if I want to do that, I just push a button. Sal wrote a script mm-hmm. for that. Well, I could conceivably using the architecture you built here, just take that script, I would assume, and just build it mm-hmm. into a, an Alfred command as well. Yep. Absolutely. And we show you how to do that. It's a very simple process. Uh, their tool has been designed very well to work with other uh applications like Omni applications and uh, of course Omni automation, the, the real 
treasure about Omni Automation is that any script can be converted into a URL that can be sent to the application and executed as a full robust script. So it's easy to take any script that you're using and just turn it into a URL and then paste. And you're ready to go. You give it your favorite Alfred keystroke command and literally like just like Rose said, you know, you pull up the launcher, type in something, and then you're gone and you're, you go straight to what you need to do and you're not distracted by anything else. It just executes right into the heart of the machine. Well, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I'm in the bag for OmniFocus. You know, I, when I made my big career change, I thought, well, maybe I don't need something as powerful as OmniFocus. And I tried some other apps. I tried to use reminders and it's just not... You know, the, with this this toy set that you've built, how could you walk away <laughs> from that, right? I mean, you know, I can make my task manager dance for me, and it gets out of my way. And you know, the 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 effect of that is I manage tasks faster and more efficiently. Uh huh. So why wouldn't you? And um, yeah, I think that this this move they made when you when you joined the team and you started adding this functionality, it's. It's just really, it's really hard to overstate. I mean, there's nothing like it out there. And, and now you're expanding that to the other Omni Group applications, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's device independent, which is really remarkable. So you, you write this script and it works the same on the iPhone and the iPad and the Mac, which is, you know, as, as an automator yourself, you don't want to have to track multiple versions of the same script. You know, I've heard I've heard you guys talk about that, about how, you know, Rose has some great ideas about how you create libraries of functions that you can update once and it if everything else calls that and ties into that. And it's nice to have that device independence. And Omni has really made that a priority through their implementation of automation so that it makes it easy for an automator to create something, a tool, and then just use it everywhere and not worry about it. The other nice thing I like about what you've done is you've shared everything. So if you're listening, <laughs> and when I say JavaScript, your mind gets a little foggy, and and you're a little worried about it, actually, it's, it's a great JavaScript course, in essence, because you know what the script is doing. Sal explains it, but he gives you the source right on the page. And I am a um, JavaScript spelunker. If I would say, you know, I, if you said, sit down and write a JavaScript from scratch, I probably would fail. But if you said, put a JavaScript together that does this thing, Ah. well, if I've got enough examples of stuff, Mm -hmm. I can usually kind of cobble it together to work. And it's on my list of things to do one day is to get much better at it. But you you don't give me uh, much motivation to do that because Sal makes them. And then I just go download them and... (laughs) And then it, I learn more from them just looking at the ones you've written. So I really appreciate the fact you that go. you, you yeah. make it available to everyone as well. So like the, there's right. a function in this one about how to get it to uh, to speak the text. Because a lot of these uh, scripts you've written not only just do what mm-hmm. you ask, but it also says, hey, I'm opening the such and such project. And now I've got this. I actually saved that snippet of JavaScript in here. And I'm like, yeah. well, the next time I make one and I want to have it call out what it's doing, now I've Here's got Sal's script here. I can just go ahead and make a few changes and get it going. 
the beautiful thing about automation is not just the technology, it's the community. Yeah. The fact that the, the people believe together that the more knowledge they share, the better it is for everybody. And that's the way it, it, it should be. You know, the power mm-hmm. of the computer should reside in the hands of the one using it. But at the same time, the knowledge we should be sharing with everybody instead of trying to hide our little bit of knowledge here or our little bit of something there. The more that we make automation successful, the more developers will be attracted to it, the better it will be for everyone. And that's a theme I've heard on your show many times. Yeah. And, and I think that's true with software developers in general. They're very open about sharing code and ideas, but the automation community brings it to another level because there's a lot of people in the automation community like me who are not pro developers, but they still want to get good enough at this stuff that they mm-hmm. can solve their problem. They can scratch their particular itch and not every day have to spend so right. much time mousing and clicking and doing right. all the things that these user-friendly interfaces, you know, they make it accessible to everybody but we want it more than just accessible. We want it fast. Right. And uh, at Omni, you know, we're always looking for opportunities for interoperability. It's a weird word, but it really does mean that, you know, it describes the ability of software to exchange and make use of information between applications. And we're always looking for opportunities. So on the main page, of the Omni Automation website, you'll see along with Alfred, you'll see examples with Obsidian, Airtable, OpenAI. There's a lot of examples of working with other third-party products. And that's the advantage of Omni Automation is that you have the core tools necessary for doing secure communication across networks, you know, using passwords and and tokens correctly, storing them correctly. All of that is built into Omni Automation. So it's fun to come up with these connection points between software that people like to use and Omni products as well. Well, you know, now that you've raised it, I have another request. (laughs) Okay. All right. I got one for you. Uh, Because I've struggled with this. I've come up with some of my own solutions. I think Rose has even taken a crack at it. But I feel like um, because the Omni Group makes everything a URL, I think that's one of the big advantages of their software. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like every Omni-focused project or perspective or whatever becomes a URL. I love to embed those URLs in other places. Mm -hmm. I feel like we need a better automation solution to get the URL. You know what I mean? To say create a new project and put the URL in the paste buffer for the project. So then I can embed it into an obsidian page or drop mm-hmm. it in a craft document. I, it's not that yep. hard. You open, you open a OmniFocus, you right click, you copy the URL. Right. But, but uh, I have struggled over the years to come up with a, a reliable way to grab that URL. Like when I create it or, well, or access it. What would you think if I told you that we already have a plugin that does that for you? <laughs> of course you do. I, I, I'm pretty certain this may be slightly my fault because I remember asking for this a while ago. I say a while ago um, and a, a very long time ago. Um, and uh, you, you just, uh, yeah. Produce yeah. it in like yeah. five minutes without thinking about it, which is great. Of course you right. did. Of so you all did. you have to do is copy the script that you want to turn into a URL to the clipboard. You run the plugin, and then it it replaces that with a 
perfectly formed URL ready to go that you can paste. Okay. Well, I will be there's uh, also links, following up There's on also that. links on the Alfred page, too, to special section and tools that we have on the website that are just for creating uh, that you can use. You can put your scripts in and turn them into URLs and test them and then change them and then test them again. There's certain pages in the Omni Automation website that are just designed to do that for you. And we have links to them within the Alfred documentation. Uh, of course, you've, you've solved the problem already. Um, the, uh, Sal, if somebody's listening and they're like, well, you know, I might be a little better at JavaScript than Sparky, and I want to start building my own, what are some, mm-hmm. some places they should go? To? Obviously, Omni Automation is a great place to get started. But, but I guess uh, uh, this Omni flavor of JavaScript really is the trick for automating all of the Omni Group apps, which I guess, uh, I don't know, I guess I'm asking you to agree with me. Is that basically where you should start? Yeah, the reason is because it's really based on core JavaScript that's with yeah. WebKit. So it's foundational. You're not learning special case scenarios where you have to have some library installed or something. You're learning core JavaScript, which is super well documented on the internet. We we list uh, on many of the pages resources for online training for doing basic JavaScript. And all of your basic JavaScript functions work there. And what we've done at Omni is expose all the different elements of the applications to that core JavaScript. And so there's some terminology like task, project, that aren't part of JavaScript, but are used with JavaScript. It's almost so like an extension, much, kind of. Yeah. yeah. And so it's all logical. And once you learn the basic principles of, okay, how do I do a loop? Or, you know, how do I describe a property? Or how do I create a JavaScript object? You know, once you've learned the basic things from an online course, then you can quickly put together these. And we also have tutorials. There's an online scripting tutorial on the OmniFocus section of the Omni Automation website that will walk you through step-by-step how to do that and how to learn it and give you examples so you can start there. It's a great place. Plus, you know, Tim has that wonderful website, you know, Learn OmniFocus, and he has video classes there too as well. And I always learn something by watching those. So I'll give him a shout out. Yeah, absolutely. A treasure in the OmniFocus focus community. Well, gang, go check it out. And I'm telling you this for your own benefit, but also for mine, because then – as you become the uh, script master, I will also be ah. downloading and using your scripts as well. So it all serves me. I am me the, in the script end. master. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the great thing about automation, right? Like, um, if 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 I create something and you download it and use it, David, you're not stealing it. I still get to use it. And what's more, you may look at it and go, "Oh, I've got a little idea where I can just go, ah. ta-da, yeah. done." Uh-huh. And you know that that's what we that's what we need um, with things like this because it actually benefits everybody. There you go. I, I constantly I, I've told you guys before that you you a lot of my ideas some of my ideas come from what you guys say on the shows. Uh, you know, you'll be talking about a problem and you the way that you break into it and ex- and talk about it and expose it from the user's point of view 
is very triggering and I can go, oh, right, I see what they're trying to do. Well, we could probably use this to help them with that. And the next thing I know, you know, I've spent an hour working on something, coming up with a solution. Yeah, It's that approach, that inquisitive approach that you guys have that don't be afraid of looking into something. Don't be afraid of exploring that you can do it is part of the message that I get from the Automators podcast. And it's encouraging. And once you've start giving yourself the opportunity to explore, you'll find out amazing things and you'll be able to create tools for yourself. Did you guys ever see that Pixar movie Ratatouille? <laughs> you know, with a guy with a little rat in his head yeah. that would cook. And the big thing was the chef said, anybody can cook. Look, anybody can automate. It really is. It doesn't take much to get started. And then once you join the community, the community raises you up. It's it's really that simple. Yeah. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash automators right now for high-speed, secure, and anonymous VPN services, and you can get an extra three months for free. You've probably heard by now that you should be using a VPN when you connect to the internet, but adding an extra step to anything you do every day can sound like a hassle. Well, if you knew how easy it is to protect your connection with ExpressVPN, you'd be doing it already. ExpressVPN is the easiest way to browse safely, securely, and just better. I won't connect to the internet outside of my house without a VPN connection. I just don't trust public Wi-Fi. It's too easy for the bad guys to get between you and your data and cause all sorts of bad things to happen. ExpressVPN gets rid of all those things you hate about VPNs, and it's a VPN done right. First of all, it's blazing fast. Lots of other VPNs slow your connection to the point where it's not even worth it to connect. But ExpressVPN doesn't lag or buffer. You can stream in HD with no issues. And using it couldn't be easier. Just open the ExpressVPN app, click one button, and enjoy instant protection across all your devices. The fact is, once you connect to ExpressVPN, you don't even realize you have it on. But your connection is secure, your data is encrypted, and you can spoof your location so you can have access to content available outside your region. No wonder it's been called the best VPN by CNET. Right now, go to expressvpn.com slash automators and you can get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash automators to get that three extra months for free expressvpn.com slash automators is that link one more time check it out and our thanks to expressvpn for their support of the automators podcast and all of relay fm sal you mentioned in the last segment uh window management which got my ears to perk Mm. up because i this is something i've never talked to you about and for for a guy like you who can write apple script and javascript and just knows automation inside out on your mac Mm-hmm. Do you use any automation with your window management? Uh, under certain situations, yes. Uh, I quite often would r- write those myself. If I was dealing with applications that were scriptable, yeah. a lot of them had just, just by enabling uh, Apple events, it automatically exposed the window classes so you could size and scale them to where you wanted it to be, right? Yeah. And so a lot of the times I'm, I'm focusing on certain applications and I would need a certain window set up. So long before there was Moom or, or third-party yeah. tools for that, 
I would write scripts that would set up windows a certain way, just so, you know, I knew I had to do something like a hundred times. For example, uh, you know, I I quite often worked with other groups at Apple and one of the groups I worked with was retail and retail was always up against the wall deadline wise. You know, they had to produce everything that they did in 14 languages and, and had to be done yesterday. And I, they always would come to me for automation, you know, resources and answers. And a lot of times I found that what they were doing was transferring data between applications, but they needed some visual control over it. And so, you know, having Windows side by side became a very viable solution. So I started developing some window management tools uh, to do that. And it is quite helpful, you know, just to be able to hit a script and it goes biff and you instantly have everything that you need in place, ready to go. You do it, you run another script and it goes away. So that's always been part of it. As a matter of fact, when we created folder actions way back on Mac OS 8.5, uh, we, one of the examples we added was that when you opened a folder, it could automatically size the windows and tile them for all the windows that were part of that folder would tile into a, 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 a row right behind them offset slightly. And if you moved one of them, the folder action would drag the other windows along with it. And that's built into, it's still there today. It's built into the operating system of folder actions. I'm going to have to dig that out. I didn't know that that was there. But, yeah, and that that's was just, one of the first examples. And that's used, and that is using an Apple script underneath to do it? How is it resizing the windows? Well, it, what it does is uh, when the finder would trigger the folder action event, it would pass the window object to the script that gets called. Sure. And the script would say, okay, what are the current bounds of this main window? Do you have any windows that belong to this main window? We'll tile them and offset them one, you know, so many 24 pixels offset north and south or whatever it was and just line them up. And it became quite useful. So you could drag whole sets of, of windows around and then close one and it would close them all. Folder actions was quite, was quite inventive and innovative. Uh, nobody had done anything like that. Yeah, and I feel like folder actions are still a really powerful automation tool that a lot of people don't use. You know, I feel like for it just yeah. never landed for whatever reason. But it, it, you know, you do. So the idea of it is you trigger an automation by doing something with the folder. So if you yeah. like, if you want to rename a file, you drag it on the folder and it renames the file. Or you know, it's lots of like normal file management stuff is really good with folder folder actions. The original folder actions was triggered when you open or close a folder, uh, when you add something or take something away from a folder, each one of those events triggered a, an attached script, a folder action. Yeah. And so when you move the window of the folder, that also triggered uh, an, an Apple event or an attached script. So you could attach scripts to different folders. And, you know, one of the first things you want to do is, 
if you want to harass somebody, you attach a script to their folder so that when they open it, it closes immediately. Did you ever do do that to anybody? Oh, I'm not going to claim that one, but... (laughs) This may have been done and you may have witnessed it happening. It may have been done. There might have been people mad at me for that one, but we figured that many people were going to abuse that. And a lot of people didn't even know it was there, but... You know, you could also, we had, we had ones where uh, when you open a folder, it would change the background picture inside the folder and start playing ambient music. So on Halloween, we had a script that was often passed around the shop where it would, you open a folder and this creepy picture of a forest would become the background of the folder and you'd start hearing like spooky music on your machine. <laughs> That was popular. That is, when you think about it, it is useful though. I, I, I am, I, I am a big fan of what I call contextual computing. I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, one of the best ways to use a computer is to have it kind of help you f- speed your way through doing things without getting distracted. You know, most, yes. so much of technology is about distraction, but I never thought about contextually setting folder backgrounds to the type yeah. of work you're doing. Like if I have the folder where I manage the automators podcast files. We're going to finish recording today. I'm going to have a folder with files. What if I made the background mm-hmm. red, the, the, the automators kind of red. And then yep. now I know exactly which folder I'm in and I don't drag the file from the wrong folder. Like the Mac power users is green. Automators is red. I know exactly yep. which one I'm in and using automation to kind of like set that up. I, I think that's something I wanted to just uh, explore further. Maybe the next time you're on, we'll have you, but I just love window automation as an automation tool and kind of a gateway drug for people because I think yeah. for so many people, if you could just say, hey, uh, automation, they say, well, what, what good is automation? I say, well, what if every time you wanted to write the sales report, you clicked a button on your Mac and it opened up the folder with the previous sales report and it opened up pages where you write the sales yeah. report and it opened up the website where you research it and it organized it on your desk so everything was just ready and you could start working. And right. that is something absolutely doable with multiple automation platforms. And uh, you were there ahead of your time, buddy. Well, and one of the, I don't know if all the folder actions are still implemented or not uh, in the operating system. I haven't looked, but one of my favorite tricks was I had a script attachment that would look for an alias file in the folder. And if the alias file was there, it would open it up. So at the top level of the folder, if I dragged an alias to a document I was working on into that folder, when I opened the folder, it would also open that document. And Mm -hmm. if I wanted to stop doing that, I would just get rid of the alias file that was in the folder. Clever. That's clever. Yeah. There's all kinds of things you can do with automation. It's like you guys said, it's, you know, if there's all these different possibilities and they're all waiting there for you to explore. Makes a lot of sense. The, uh, do you use any of the modern window management tools? I, I'm, I know that like uh, you could just put it together in Apple script, but you mentioned Moom, um, a keyboard maestro does window management. Do you use any of those tools for it or do you just no, uh, write a script? I, pretty much the latest thing I'm doing is web apps. Okay. Uh, you know, since I'm using the beta here too, like like you guys are using the beta, one of the features of it is that you can convert a website into a web app and it becomes this little self-contained entity yeah. that makes it easy to use and track. 
So all of the windows that you open up inside that web apps, if they're in the same domain, will stay in that little bundle. And I've been using that, you know, as as making these little worlds that I explore, explore rather than doing window management. Sure. I find that that's, that's pretty helpful because it's easy to tab between different windows. And mm-hmm. I, I, I like that feature. It seems to work very well. As a matter of fact, I put a manifest file into Omni Automation mm-hmm. to try it out. So both Omni Automation and the Omni Automation voice control website have manifest files and can become self-contained web app entities using the new uh, beta operating system. This episode of Automators is brought to you by Text Expander. When you work in a small team, every moment counts. You don't want to be wasting your time finding video conferencing details to send to a new client, and you don't want to track down the same FAQs from the company website again and again and again. These are the kinds of things you want at your fingertips so you can get your work done faster. And that's why you need Text Expander. With Text Expander, you can access what you type the most with just a few keystrokes, allowing you to work faster and eliminate repetition, letting you focus on what matters most to you. Text Expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations streamline your team's work. All you have to do is type a short abbreviation, and Text Expander does the rest for you. You just build and collect your most commonly used phrases, messages, URLs, and more right within Text Expander, then create your chosen abbreviation, and they'll be with you wherever you type. You can even customize the snippets by having them automatically adding dates, fill in the blank fields, timestamps, and more. This will make sure you keep the personality in the communication you send. Text Expander is available on any device you use, across any app you use, on Mac, Windows, Chrome, and iOS. I use Text Expander for all sorts of things, like making sure that I insert the correct email address, that I've typed my name correctly, or most recently, as I realized, spelling the word separate correctly. E's and A's apparently in my brain are just interchangeable. When I'm not creating super simple snippets like that, which quite frankly do save my bacon, I am using the more advanced options such as scripting inside of snippets so that you can get super fancy. If repetitive typing is getting you down, you need Text Expander and you can get 20% off your first year. That's textexpander.com slash automators to say goodbye to repetitive typing. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show. So, so you teased us a little bit earlier with voice control and, um, you know, for, for folks who are going, wait, voice control, it, it, think of it like, hey, Apple lady, but considerably <laughs> more useful. Um, not, not to, you know, bash Siri, um, you know, but uh, the number of times I hear, particularly my parents talking to her and she's like, I found some results on the web for you. Um, mm-hmm. and it, it is just kind of amazing, um, that, they actually seem perfectly happy with this. I don't know what's going on there. Um, but, um, you know, voice control of your computer can allow way more things. And, you know, mm-hmm. there's a number of accessibility benefits, of course, for for folks who, um, you know, have low or no vision so that they can, you know, work around the screen and things like that. And all of that's, you know, something that, you know, hopefully every app is going to work on and have. Um, but voice control of the Omni apps is something that you have just gone hardcore implementing or extending with the automation APIs. And 
seeing what you're doing is kind of crazy. I've actually found a couple of new features in uh, particularly OmniFocus or like it's, it's made something click in my brain as to how something works. It's like, oh, that's how I do that thing when I've been looking at this. But, you know, how right. did you get started on this? Like, wh where did this come from? Was it, you know, an idea because of accessibility reasons or something else? It just seemed to me when I was working on automation at Apple that... I was always looking for ways for it to connect into the operating system and work with other apps. And then there was this whole text-to-speech and, and speech recognition thing that was going on. And those teams, I, I, for some reason, I was attracted to working with them and combining automation and voice together. And I always work with those teams very closely. And when the Siri team showed up, I also worked with them. And we had really tight integration with automation and Siri at 1.2. But when you start looking at the voice technologies on the computer and how they're used, voice control is quite unique in that it offers so many different ways of integration. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that all of the things that you can do uh, with voice control. For example, I can make a voice control command that is triggered by a phrase or some kind of uh, word, word order that I say that will open a file, paste text, paste data, open a URL, select a menu, press a keyboard shortcut, or run a shortcut shortcut. All mm -hmm. of that is possible just by triggering with your voice. And one of the things I, I noticed right away is, you know, with Omni Automation, having the ability to convert any script into a URL, that means just opening a URL now becomes full execution of an Omni Automation script. And the two just lend themselves perfectly to working together. And the more I got into working with voice, the more I understood, a better understood its role and how you use it on a practical level. Uh, the main thing I found out and discovered was that you don't use it to control everything. You use it for those to trigger automations in the scenarios where your hands are busy. So if I already have my hands on the mouse and I'm doing something, but I need to go get a file or mount a server or do something with the data that's on the clipboard, something that would take me away from what I'm doing, that's perfect for voice triggering. So I could just, you know, have something on the clipboard and go uh, convert that to decimal, boof, done, and then paste. So. Right. That's using voice, how you use it is really the key to making it part of your productivity. You know, it, it's designed so that you can do everything with it, so that you can really, uh, if you need to rely on it, you can, but that's not my goal with it. My goal in particularly was using it as an adjunct to the automations that I do. And it is perfectly designed to do that. And that's that's one of the powers of voice control. And that's what attracted me to it. I think one of the challenges with voice control for people listening is uh, it, it, it can feel intrusive when you turn it on. 
Like when you turn on voice control, because it's an accessibility feature, it is, you know, that lady plus really. And uh, it puts a little box on your screen with a microphone that tells you that whether it's hot or not. And um, you suddenly you've got that. That's changing. Oh, is that? That's changing. If you've looked at the new beta, turn it on in the new beta. They're not using the microphone box. Okay. Well, see, I don't record the podcasts yeah. on the, the beta. I'll have to look. That's yeah. a separate machine. But all right. Well, that well that solves that problem. But the, the other thing Plus, is- Plus, they have a, a nice training app in the new beta. Yeah. It, it will, you open up the app and it walks you through everything, like learning the tech suite, learning window navigation, learning all kinds of different stuff. And it's really well done, and it's quite informative. I mean, you you sit there and spend 10 minutes with this little training app, and you're ready to go. It's very, very good. I played with it when it first got added to the operating system and eventually turned it off because it just didn't feel like – it felt like it was too much of a project when I, when I used it. But mm-hmm. then when you started building all these tools, I re-enabled it mm-hmm. last year, and I've never turned it off. And, and the, the point I was going to make is that not only do you get a way to automate your apps, you get a much improved voice to text dictation. And I know that mm. Siri has got better this year. They're using a um, a transformer model, I believe, and they've they've made significant improvement to the uh, text to the voice to text engine. In fact, I, would you guys agree? I mean, I feel like it's a lot better now that I've been using it on the betas. I know that's not what we're here to talk about today, but it, it's yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely improved significantly. And the nice thing about voice control, it's not server-oriented. Yeah, it's you know, on, service, on device. Yeah. The, uh, the Apple lady, as Rose calls her, is, you know, is connected to a server. You have to have an internet connection. And uh, a lot of times she'll say, oh, I can't do that for you. I'll, I'll send a notice to your phone or something. But voice control is all self-contained on the, on the computer. And it, you can pretty much do anything with the computer through your voice with voice control. You can tap a specific area of the screen. You can do drags. You can dictate. You can be in the middle of typing and then dictate. It's all, it's, it's pretty amazing. And the tools that we designed using voice control for OmniFocus, you know, the over a hundred different commands, when we designed those, we thought about how they would be an adjunct. So although you, we provided a voice commands file for enabling every menu and on the Mac OmniFocus so that you can call any menu that you want, we also designed these specialized tools as being an adjunct. So one of the things I, I noticed, I was like, okay, I need to make a repeating task on Wednesday. So I would just say repeating task for Wednesday. And poof, it could get me started. It would take me right into the task, have it already set up to repeat, and then I could fill in the details that I wanted to. You know, just being able to narrow down and get to that one little bit of thing quicker is very, very helpful. And it's a perfect thing for voice. You know, you just basically talking to it and telling it what you want, and it sets it up for you to go to work. And that's it's really helpful. So on the Omni Automation website, there's a section for voice control. And within that, there's a section for OmniFocus with over 120 examples, I believe, uh, 
that you can download and install because voice control files can be installed. There are these little plist files that you can install right in the uh, voice control system preferences, and it will bring in everything that you need. You don't have to do anything other than just go import. It imports the command, sets up the language, sets up the actions, everything for you. So you can control pretty much everything OmniFocus does using that custom set of commands very quickly. Yeah, and if you're going to dictate with voice control, it's so much better than the Apple lady because you can add a custom dictionary as well. So mm-hmm. if you've got proper nouns or words that the um, the built-in transcription chokes on, you just add them to yeah. your, your vocabulary and off to the races you go. Yeah. Uh, I, it's just such an eye-opener. Like, not only can I use the stuff you built to control my app, but also I've got better dictation and uh, I'm now, as soon as we finish recording, I'm going to go over to my beta machine and see what they've done on the <laughs> new one, because I feel like this is something a lot of people are missing out on. Oh, yeah. It, it's unfortunately, David, it, you mentioned that it's an accessibility feature. Yeah. And yes, it performs great value and offers great value for the accessibility community. Yes, it does. But at the same time, a lot of people don't pay attention to it because they think, well, I don't need that. And what it really is, it's an, another input and control device for the computer. In the same way that a keyboard is, the voice, you, you have this voice that is sitting there waiting to be used. Yeah. It's almost like uh, solar panels. <laughs> you know, the sun's there, it's waiting to be used. And all you have to do is put up these solar panels and you can take advantage of it. Well, there's this whole level of automation and and ability built into every Apple device that's just waiting for you to use. So instead of trying to remember a keyboard shortcut or trying to remember, you know, what do I have to do first or click or what, you can just give it a phrase and have it be there for you when you need it. I'm thinking myself, uh, you know, as we get these more sophisticated devices, that you're going to be wanting to type less, maybe dictate more, and also maybe use that extra voice assistant more, rather than having to interact through the keyboard, mouse, and standard typing ways. I think that voice is going to become more prominent and more important in our computing lives moving forward. Yeah, I feel like it feels natural with this artificial intelligence boom, right? Like, Ah. it's more conversational. The automation should match it with conversational input. And I I do feel like there's something to that. Absolutely. I I, I know we had plans for the show. I got to ask you, are you looking at all at, you know, chat GPT and LLMs and thinking about automation with those types of technologies? Well, you know, that comes under interoperability. And uh, like I said, one of the uh, sections we have on the website is for open AI. Yeah. And we uh, have examples there about how to interact with an open AI server. Not all of them are, you know, 
We're not interacting with the chat GPT-4. We're using some of the other services that they offer about data and images and things like that. And there's examples like uh, you're in OmniGraffle and you say, I want a picture of a sailboat on a calm day in blue water. Boof. And it puts it right there on the canvas for you. Or you say, I want a color palette for an autumn day. And instantly you'll get all these little boxes of different colors labeled and added to your document. You know, there's, there's examples that we have for creating outlines, like give me a basic outline on the steps we'll need to adapt more renewable resources. And it will generate an outline for you in Omni Outliner. So we have some examples there of how one would tie into an AI source using authentication and credentials and then have it actually do something within the document. So we have examples there and it comes under the heading of interoperability where we're not, you know, recommending or the third party tool, but we're showing you how to use that if that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And that makes a lot of sense. I can't help but feel there, there is something here as an automation enthusiast that this is going to open a whole new avenue into automation for people. And that's something that we need to be thinking about. You know, like how do we mm-hmm. figure out a way to implement that in a way that makes sense and is mm-hmm. ethical and, uh, but at the same time gives people uh, less friction be- between the thing they want to do with their computer and their computer. Yeah. I think I'm excited by the possibility of where, for example, you know, your company might have a set of data that it uses in it, in its business yeah. and that there would be an open, there would be some kind of AI tool that you could point to your own data and create a intelligence model for that. And then that, that would give your employees a way to talk into your data and extract the best out of it easily. And once you can do that, then it can be automated. And then, you know, I'm excited by that possibility of, uh, you know, focused use of AI seems like it's a very valuable thing and it can make it a lot easier for people. And and the key there is your data, right? Like, yeah, look at my calendar and look at OmniFocus and look at the number of times I've deferred this task and, and decide for me if it's really that important. And look at what I'm spending my time on and like, come up with me, give me a proposed plan for the week to work on my most important work. Like, I, you know, I feel like that's something that AI can bring us without having to stick our data on the cloud, right. To be able to, to help us plan our days and hmm. take the grunt work out of it and allow us to yeah. make the things that are important and not be managers, but makers. And that's and keeping the stuff your that data your data. Exactly. That's the stuff that gets yeah. me excited. Like become mm-hmm. my smart assistant and do this for me. And I feel like it's not that far <laughs> off, right? I mean, we hope not, right? Pretty soon it'll be telling you, David, sit down. I got this. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if it's grunt work, I hope it does. Like, you know, I don't want to ah. do the donkey work. You know, I, I want to be making stuff. I don't want to be dealing with you know, the nonsense. And uh, so, well, we're definitely getting closer. You know, when I first started working at Apple, I I literally lived across the street from Apple 
And uh, I would basically go into work and uh, every night they had a library over in building four. They had all of these videos of every WWDC session. And they also had the knowledge navigator video, the famous knowledge navigator video. Yeah. And I would go in there around midnight when nobody else was around. And I would start by watching the knowledge navigator video. And then I would pick some area and watch as many videos as I could stand of that particular area of knowledge. Right. And that really got me thinking about how every, all the technologies should work together to really expose a personal level of assistance that was both informative, inquisitive, but not in your face. And that pretty much outlined it. And I always kept trying to replicate those concepts by implementing automation with speech, speech recognition, the other technologies in the operating system. And then once we got AppleScript Objective-C, the doors opened up and we could talk to any of the Cocoa APIs. It got very, very powerful and that became more reality. And that's really where we should be going. In the future, I think you're right, David. You're going to have built into your computer a level of intelligence that you could turn on and say, observe what I do and uh, give me a summary or a synopsis of what do you think uh, would be improvement and let me see that. What would that be? And, you know, those will be the kind of tools that would be offered. And I think it would fit within Apple's scope because they're very concerned about, you know, protecting your data and making it your data. And that, that would work. If you could get the AI tool to work with what you have and, and help you do it better, then that, that's interesting. Yeah, it gets me excited just thinking about it. Like, it, I feel like in my lifetime, this is going to be a thing. And it's going to be a disruptor, but it's also going to allow you to do better work. Yeah. This episode of The Automators is brought to you by Taskbone. Get more out of your productivity tools and get special onboarding support for a limited time only. Just go to taskbone.com automators. Listeners of this show know that we often talk about automations for task management or project templates mainly talking about the task management software we are using. But, but there's another level to this. Like maybe you're using Todoist, like Dominic, the founder of Taskbone. And if you are, you should check out their Todoist extension because Taskbone adds support for task paper templates. Using Taskbone, you can outline your project using plain text bullet points, and Taskbone will create the project's tasks and subtasks for you. And you can use that simple task paper notation to assign labels, due dates, and priorities. Anybody listening to my voice can figure out task paper annotation. It's not hard. And with Taskbone, you can just drop that straight into Todoist. Because it's all about automation, you can even include variables, loops, if-else statements, and date calculations in your template. You can also export your projects into various plain text formats like task paper, to-do.txt, or markdown, plus customizable templates for exports and exports based on custom filters will be available soon. Do you use Obsidian? Taskbone's got a plugin for that too that allows a convenient two-way sync between your local markdown files and Todoist. At Taskbone, they understand that adding a new service to your automation tool belt may come with a learning curve. And who's got time for that? That's why with this ad, Taskbone is offering special onboarding support 
just for the listeners of the Automators podcast. So if you choose one of the payment options, they'll check how Taskbone fits into your personal workflow and help you with your templates. They'll even create them for you if you want them to. I spent some time working with Taskbone. It really does take this automation to the next level. And this generous offer is only available because Taskbone is just starting up and they want to collect as much feedback from the Automators community as possible. They're looking at you, gang, so go check them out. This is a very limited time offer, and if it ever comes back, it'll likely be at a very different price. So if you want to get more out of your productivity tools, head over to taskbone.com slash automators for this special deal. That's taskbone, T-A-S-K-B-O-N-E dot com slash automators. And our thanks to Taskbone for sponsoring this show and all of Relay FM. And from the automation community, we wish Taskbone the best of luck. The more automation tools that find their way into our productivity apps, the better. That URL one last time, gang, taskbone.com slash automators. Sal, the reason I actually asked you on <laughs> wasn't all this cool stuff, but we continue to get people asking us about Apple Script. And uh-huh. You know, it's Apple script is, uh, well, I'm going to let you explain what it is. We've talked about, it. I think a lot of listeners know, but I'd like to hear it from you. And, mm. and people are, there's two questions we get. Number one, should I learn Apple script? And, mm-hmm. and the implicit question there is, look, it just works on the Mac. It doesn't work on the iPhone or iPad. Should I be spending my time in JavaScript instead? That's the first question we get. And the second question is, how do I learn Apple script? Mm-hmm. And, and Rose and I give advice, but I'm like, you know, there was a guy in charge of this at Apple who would come on the show and talk to people. Maybe we should ask him, you know, and uh, check that that video link. Like just take a second and open that up. Yeah. So he sent us a video link uh that is at the intro seminar to Apple Script from Apple. We're gonna put a link in the show notes for everybody. Yeah. Take a look at that. And that whole approach, the thing about Apple Script that is so wonderful. It's like the people's automation language, right? Yeah. Eng- engineers hated it because it was so verbose and so flexible and it wasn't typed. It wasn't like, okay, document dot, but the, 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 that colon slash slash, you know, it was yeah. like there was no particular order. It had a natural language syntax that you could invert and put the verb over here and this there and, you know. And it was just so incredibly powerful, but people liked it because it was the duct tape. It was the glue between their ideas. And because it so profoundly addresses that, it's lasted over 25 years now. I mean, there's a reason why. And it's because it does what you need to do. And even if you just learn it for the Mac, it's worthwhile because you'll be learning concepts that are pertinent regardless of what language you eventually use. All languages share certain concepts. For example, one of the most important concepts is about objects, that in AppleScript, everything is thought of as an object. And objects have properties. And just like us, right? I have a name, I have a height, I have a position, I have a location. All of those properties have values. And the first thing that you do with AppleScript is you learn how to manipulate the value of properties of the objects. 
So that file in a folder has a location. If you open it up, there's a word in a paragraph, which is part of a story. All of those kind of things and those concepts that you learn about AppleScript are pertinent to learning other languages anyway. And you'll also find that AppleScript has some pretty darn unique things called whose clauses that make writing scripts a lot easier than having to learn how to do, you know, repeats and all kinds of other heavy duty things. For example, uh, when Apple, when the next folks came into Apple and, you know, Apple, it was determined that we were going to keep AppleScript after a while. There was a little struggle over that, but they wanted to know about it. So Chris Espinosa and myself, we met with some of the folks from, you know, the, the next platform and uh, talked to them about AppleScript. And they said, well, okay, can you write an example on the board? And I think we wrote something like, uh, tell application finder to duplicate every document file of the entire contents of the startup disk whose name contains Smith project to the folder name backup. Right? Yeah. So it's a long one-liner, but it's a one-liner. But it's a one-liner. We wrote it on the on the whiteboard and then sat down and they went, no, 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 no. We need to see the code. And we pointed to the thing. And he goes, <laughs> that, no, that you don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> we need to see the code for, for doing this. That's We understand what you want to do, but where's the code? And we pointed to the thing and they went, what? And yep. I said that. And then they, you know, turned and looked at each other and talked a little computerese for a second. And then went, oh, okay. It fit in really well with Objective C and the concept of objects and everything else. It was just super high level, way up here, you know, where it had been extracted. But once they got the concept, then bringing it across was okay. And that's the beauty of AppleScript is that it, it just works. And sometimes the implementation in some apps might be dingy. Some, you know, a developer might not implement it correctly. And then that's a pain that you have to like try to work around. But you use the David Sparks approach at that point where you look for previously done examples and find somebody else that already figured it yeah, out. Somebody that already went through the pain and you just copy it yeah. and then you're off to the races. And there's great communities around that too. The the folks at Script Debugger, uh, they have a community and there's a bunch of online scripting communities where you can go and have people give you examples of, of, of how to do the common things you want to do. Yeah. And, you know, when you talked about how some developer people don't like AppleScript, see, I am the flip side of that coin. Like to me, I look at JavaScript and I have to really parse it because there's a bunch of periods and brackets mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And I know that if I get any of that wrong, it all breaks. And I grew up using AppleScript, you know, at, at your knee. And so I, it's like AppleScript is so easy and forgiving that I'm like, what's wrong with all these other computer languages that they make it so right. like, you know, it's like there's tripwires on every line. And if you just make one little mistake, the whole thing blows yep. up and like AppleScript is so forgiving. So I feel like it's a great forgiving language to start with. The other thing mm -hmm. I would add to what you just said is for a lot of stuff on the Mac, it's the only way. It's just, yeah. it's the only way because these Mac developers, the good ones put in AppleScript dictionaries in their apps 
where there's a bunch of stuff you can do almost anything in their app with automation mm-hmm. just by going to the dictionary. That's where I I would make the pitch to go buy script debugger if you want to do this because they their dictionaries absolutely. are good. Yes, absolutely. And uh, if you check out the, uh, I think you're going to put a link to the the training video that I yeah recorded. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I did a video, uh, an introductory to Apple script video, about 45 minutes for Apple. And it's still valid. And uh, it, it all the concepts there are once you get uh, start understanding the concept and you look at going into dictionaries and how to see what is available to you and how to put the pieces together. Once you get that, then you can really be productive with Apple script. There are so many apps that, that do have Apple Script support, <coughs> like you said. And once you start having that ability to write the basic scripts, you're off to the races. Yeah, it's not that hard, honestly. I mean, uh, I, I would argue that even JavaScript and some of the more complex stuff is not that hard if you've got good examples, but Apple Script in particular is not that mm-hmm. hard. The other advantage of Apple Script is it's been around so long that you are one Google search away from an answer of almost anything. Yep. And if you do need a book, while I was at Apple, yeah. it took me five years to write the book. Uh, I wrote a book, uh, Apple Script 123 with Bill Cheeseman. And uh, we pretty much covered the Apple Script from A to Z on that thing. It was difficult to write that book because Apple Script was changing while I was writing the book. But we finally got it done and approved and through all the Apple bureaucracy. And uh, the book is still, the electronic version is still for sale at the Apple iBook store, Apple Script 123. I don't get, just a side note, I don't get any money from that. Apple took all the money. But my picture is on the book. So I do get whatever that value has. I mean, you get, (laughs) I've got a very handsome picture of you on my shelf here, you know, on on that book. Yep, yep. Uh, don't it worry, folks. His eyes don't actually time. move and watch you. Um, that that's just how the the iBook store makes it look. Yep. Yeah, that is a really handy book, and it's one of those things. Folks might be going, "Ooh, you know, computer science programming language." Is I hear that if it, you know, if if it wasn't written in the last like month, you don't want to pick it up. In the case of AppleScript, it's not that it's a dead language; it's that it is such a stable language. It's more like Icelandic if we were comparing it with human languages, where Icelandic basically hasn't changed in a very long time. I was reading something the other day and apparently most people in Iceland are able to read things from the 10th century because their language just hasn't changed that mm. much. It's evolved and they've added to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the the core foundation of it hasn't gone away. Um, yeah. And, you know, and it's it's still very much the same. And AppleScript is, you know, the same. It's the foundation of it has stayed the same. The way it works has stayed the same. You know, you can still use who's. Yep. Um, or wherein, and there's a bunch of synonyms for stuff as well. So if your mm-hmm. brain decides that it likes one word better than another word for it, and that's a synonym, then you can just go ahead and use it. And Apple appears to be committed to keeping it updated. They're not like adding new features, but you know they're they're fixing bugs on it, so it's still viable. Yeah, that's another when I get people say, well, should I learn it? Is Apple going to dump it at some point because they've moved on to no. shortcuts? And I, I, my response usually, tell me if I'm wrong, I feel like it would be more work for them to try to remove it than to keep it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and uh, 
and uh, you know, and and you know, people use this stuff. I mean, one of the oh, inter- yeah. interesting stories I heard this about you, Sal, uh, not from you, but somebody told me once that, um, you know, back in the battle days of the mid '90s when Apple was on the ropes, um, the um, that what happened, you know, they weren't selling many computers, but the computers they were selling were to publishing houses and people that were mm-hmm. using Macs. And they had all built out Apple script automations and complex mm-hmm. automations to keep their, their publishing pipeline going. And they were reliant on Apple for that. And that mm-hmm. is what kept the company on life support until kind of the big change. Now, somebody told me this once. I, you can tell me. In fact, we can cut this out if, if I can't say this. But that Steve Jobs said once, Sal is the guy that kept, it, kept the lights on. Is that true? Uh, I don't know if Steve said that. But uh, I was definitely out there pushing, especially yeah. with the publishing world. They were heavily invested in Apple Script. I mean, yeah. all the way up to the New York Times stock pages, yeah. uh, the weather pages for the Chronicle. I mean, yeah. it was everywhere. And it still is quite highly used in all forms of media production. Well, and so my point is for the people writing me saying, well, I'm worried about my Apple Script that they're going to take it out. Um, a lot of those publishing houses are still using this stuff, you know, uh-huh. Apple still uses it. Everybody's using this underlying <laughs> script. So I feel like if it uh, ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> fine. You're fine learning Apple script. And yeah. maybe if you want to extend out into other platforms, it's a launching point to something like JavaScript. But uh, I can tell you personally, I do a lot of my most important work on the Mac and there's a bunch of stuff I've automated over the years that I, I just can't do. Uh, right. on a mobile device with, but I right. can do it with Apple script on the Mac. A good example for me is that the Apple mail app, I wrote a script that uh, parses the first name out of the recipient. Like, you know, mm-hmm. so it's just a, a quick little script. I think it's like two or three lines, but it reliably gives me, if, if I write an email mm-hmm. to sell and then I go into the body of the email and I, and I trigger the script, it says Sal, it puts his name in. So then I put that into a text expander snippet. So I just say X high and it says high sell. And um, I can't build that in Apple mail on the iPhone because it doesn't have Apple script and there's no way to do it with JavaScript because they don't give me enough access, blah, 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 blah. But I can do that and I can do it on the platform that I use the most because of Apple script. It's, it's quite viable and uh, I, I still use it. It's a, prime automation tool for me. I use it to create other automations. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the times, you know, the examples that I put on Omni Automation are all done with Apple Script generating the JavaScript. How do you so, do that? It's, I use BBEdit, which is uh, a remarkable tool if you have to deal with text. Yeah. I've heard Rose mention that app on, on the show many times. It's oh, yeah. extremely yeah. powerful and useful. And I have BB Edit automated that I can take any Omni automation script and convert it into the HTML using Apple script. And it just generates it like pew, instant for me. It saves me tremendous amount of work. Yeah, it is incredibly useful. Yeah, I'd never really thought of that. Like, you know, taking an Apple script and converting it to um, JavaScript because my JavaScript knowledge is too weak, but having an automated process, that's very attractive to me, that idea. 
Okay. Well, I think we've made the case for AppleScript, guys. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Mission succeeded. Yeah. So, so we're going to put some links in the show. Uh, uh, the video that Sal was talking about, the tutorial is going to be there as well, and the link to AppleScript one two three. And yeah. the other thing I w- I'm going to add is a link to the App Script Debugger. Now, Apple yes. has a free scripting app that you get with your Mac, and it does a decent mm-hmm. job of Apple Script. But Script Debugger, I think you explained it to me one day, is the the, the Apple Script app Apple should have made. You know, it's yeah. it's, uh, it's much more powerful. And if you want to if you want to spend any time making Apple Script, just spend the money and buy Script Debugger. And the thing personally that I would recommend it for is uh, I talked earlier about these dictionaries where every app has its own dictionary. I feel like script debugger does such a better job mm-hmm. of discovering and exploring and explaining the dictionaries than Apple mm-hmm. does. And that is where you're going to get lost. That's the stuff that's going to hit you when you're trying to figure it out. And if you have an app that does a better job of it for you, it's going to save you oh, yeah. a ton of time. Script debugger is a must, must, must. Yeah, I'm also going to throw out a recommendation for fast scripts. Um, so uh-huh. obviously, if you're using Omni Automation or something, then you'll you'll have the automation menu inside of that app. But if, for example, um, like me, you may use something like iTerp, which has Apple Script support, it's got very good Apple Script support, um, but you it doesn't have like a, a a way in there to necessarily you know run the script uh, in the manner that I would like. Then you can use fast scripts to put mm-hmm. any script. And I mean any script mm-hmm. in your menu bar. And you mm-hmm. can have them be application specific as well. So they mm-hmm. can show up, for example, when you're in DevonThink or when you're in Mail um, and so on and so forth. And so mm-hmm. file scripts is definitely something that I would recommend folks check out. Um, mm-hmm. You can download the free version from Red Sweater Software. We've had Daniel on the show before. Um, there is um, you know, an upgrade um, to a pro version, um, which unlocks even more features, which... I feel like I never scratch the surface off, but it's well worth it regardless because it just right. makes it so easy to run Apple script or any other script. And of course, you know, with all these scripts, go steal what Sal's already written. <laughs> or, or somebody. I mean, there's just so much of it out there. In fact, on that general theme, if you're listening and you've created an interesting Apple script to solve an interesting problem, let us know because we do these feedback shows once in a while. I'd love to share some of the the work that our listeners have done because there's a lot of a lot of people listening to the show that are, are pretty good automators. So we'd love to hear what you're doing with Apple script and kind of share the love. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. So Sal, we've okay. got links in for Omni automation and Omni voice control. Uh, we're going to have some links to all the stuff we just talked about Apple script. Where else should people go if they want to keep up with what you're doing? In fact, let's share your music. Oh, I'm using a wonderful service called Sound Slice. That's two words, Sound Slice, but it's one word as a URL, soundslice.com. And uh, I have a little corner of Sound Slice where I post uh, arrangements that I'm working on and recordings, those kinds of things. And I'll be posting some new stuff with my MIDI guitar up there fairly soon as well. I really enjoy the quality of their tools. And it's an entire community with people sharing ideas. You can. There's also instruction if you want to learn a particular style or something about uh, music. There's usually somebody there that teaches a course and you can get the course there online as well. 
It's a wonderful resource, soundslice.com. And I'll give you the link to my little corner. Yeah. Uh, Sal, for folks that don't know, is a guitarist, a jazz guitarist of the first order. And uh, it's it's great. And I can't wait oh, to see very what, nice. what you have. Well, I mean, you know you are. <laughs> I mean, it's very impressive. Uh, as a jazz guy, I love listening to your music. But anyway, we'll put a, a link to that in the show notes as well. We are the the uh, Automators podcast. You can find us at relay.fm slash automators. want to thank our sponsors today, and that is our friends over at ExpressVPN, Text Expander, and TaskBone. And we'll see you next time. Goodbye, folks.